Hey, hey, this is Megan, and you're listening to the Salesy Podcast. This is a podcast for a modern business owner where you will learn how to build your business while staying true to yourself at the same time. As a sales expert of the last eight years and an online business owner, I am here to teach you tangible sales techniques rooted in psychology and human behavior. Get your earbuds on and your salesy notebook out and let's get started today. uses it's possible it's problem agitation solution opportunity why we use the question either starting or scaling is the specific problems that they're having so early stage entrepreneurs who are starting are going to think that they need a large audience so what they're going to tell you is that they're building they're connecting and all of these things with the goal it's always with the goal of signing clients and that's where you can come in and myth bust and be like you know i like to use what if that is a really strong question that I personally have learned and used. Like, what if you didn't have to spend all this time building a community? What if you didn't, you know, whatever their concept belief is, what if you didn't have to do that? Because a lot of people take what they learn on Instagram as face value. And a lot of it is like build your audience. That's how you're going to make sales, you know, impact over income. A lot of it is very much like once you have this large audience, you have permission to then do it. The other side of that is, though, is that then you can diagnose the problem and you can also agitate the problem. But if you notice the way that I agitate it, I don't agitate like what happens if you don't do it. I agitate like why is now the time for you either to get support or not, because that will create internal urgency. Because when you ask why is now and you place them in that present moment, that's where their brain kicks into overdrive to understand that loss aversion is happening because they plan this huge, super long timeline. And then when you bring them back to the present, it's like, I want to leave my nine to five. I actually want to make money. Or, you know, a lot of times I get like, I get like, I want to be able to invest more and grow more because investing is more of that behavior. So then providing that solution is going to be like, what is their ideal goal? And taking that, like whatever they say their goal is, just copy and paste it literally copy and paste it. Don't reword it. That's where we lose the mark as we reword it. I really just copy and paste it because that mirroring that's happening is you regurgitating back what they're saying. And then that creates the awareness in their brain because you have similar linguistic styles. And those linguistic styles are really important when we're selling. And then the opportunity is typically if there was a way If you were able to have X and not have to do Y, would you want to know more information? Do you want, um, I don't always say like, would you want more information? I would like, do you want me to send you like the deets? Like, that's the other thing I think people really struggle with across the board when it comes to pitching is we're really formal and like robotic and like corporate sales. Yeah. And if you can make it super (laughs) fucking casual, like let me send you this link on Amazon type situation. It makes it easier. The other part of this is a mindset that when you learn sales, you can see a pitch from a mile away. And so you feel weird with that because you can see the pitch coming. They cannot, they do not have the skills that they're starting out to see that pitch. And that's where a lot of times we get in our heads of like, okay, I need to have this advanced sales tactic. If you work with early stage entrepreneurs, you can do the same system over and over and over. They will not see it until they learn the system. So when it comes to scaling, 
entrepreneurs, maybe they've had sales, maybe they've made money. You don't want to assume that they know sales styles because most people who have hit 100 to 250K don't actually know sales. Mm-hmm. They just you can know fumble your way there. You can fumble your way there. So the other side of that is thinking about, okay, with a scaling entrepreneur, scaling is going to create gaps. And when there's gaps, what you do is you construct, you t- tighten back up, you want to take it back into this space. And so with them, they have this big vision. They have gotten to this point, And that's why we ask them if they're scaling. But what's happening is they've constricted so they can't get to that second point. And so they have awareness of what the problem is. Most of the time they're shopping around to see what it is. So that's when you build the rapport fast and rapport is built by self-disclosure. Don't ask them, hey, when did you start your business? How long have you been in business? Go on their page and say, hey, I saw you're based in San Francisco. What's your favorite phone place? I went to San Francisco in, shit, when did I go to San Francisco? Mm, I was still at MV. So I went to San Francisco in 2018 and we did X, Y, and Z. Like, what are some other things that you love to do there? That rapport creates self-disclosure and the principle of self-disclosure means if you talk about yourself, you're going to talk about yourself more. So what you're doing then in that rapport building is mirroring and taking that last piece and asking an extending question. Oh, you're from San Francisco? Are you born in San Francisco? Were you raised in San Francisco? Did you go to college there? Take that, go super deep because then you can shift into business. But a lot of times people think it has to be this like natural shift. It can be very casual if you know how to direct the conversation and you can go from, hey, this is where you're located to, okay, I saw on your page you're doing X, Y, and Z. Can you tell me more about that? Ooh, pause right there. Pause right there. Right there. Write that down. That is- Tell me more about that. That is a big one. So can you go through your mindset when you say that? Because you're in rapport and there's no- what I'm seeing a lot is that it's trying to be a flow and it's not, it's like, all right, this convert, this is a period that part is done. And now we're starting a new sentence. My mindset's just, I'm not here to fuck around. I'm here to make money. That's yes. always my mindset. That's my mindset. Let's make, let's make fucking money. Yes. So I think it would be safe to say based on that, like maybe three to five questions max on rapport. And then that's it. And then tie in, hey, by the way, I saw that you do Acme Coaching Company. And then that's how you start the business part. Mm -hmm. I think the other mindset that I have, though, I have to like deconstruct because at Envy, we had like time cues. We had like, Mm -hmm. okay, five minutes into rapport, 10 minutes into understanding what they are, you know, and and it was like, I can still remember the questions to this day. It was like top section, demographic, where are you located? What's your email? Those sorts of things. Middle section is like, what's your job? Um, Tell me more about your family. What's your life like? And then that bottom part was like, okay, what is the problems that you're currently having? Where do you want your massage therapist to focus? Where do you not want to be touched by your massage therapist? What's things that I need to like reiterate to them medical history wise? Because then we would collect all that information and then pitch Mm -hmm. specifically on that. Even like if they were like, okay, my wife bought me this massage. We would be like, okay, you and your wife can come in and get a massage together date night. Mm -hmm. So that's the other mindset of like, 
deeper isn't better in relationships unless the rapport building needs to have other faceted information, which what I found is in B2B. So if you're talking to someone who works in marketing and business and sales, Mm -hmm. um, most sales experts out there don't know what the fuck they're doing. (laughs) but if you're talking in that space, they will understand that shift and they will either put up a barrier and say, no, I'm not interested in that, or they will continue with it. If it's B to C, so they're working in hormones, they're life coaching, energetics, Reiki. I'm trying to think through some of the people in consistent sales system. They may need a little bit more, but you still want to guide the conversation. So after that fifth question, if they're craving more, what we don't want to do is go into sympathetic mode and be like, tell me about your life and everything so that I can relate to you on a level. What you want to do is you would move then from rapport if they're B2C and get them to tell a little bit more about their story specifically. So if you're like shifting it and you're like, um, I'm thinking about one of our sales clients, Callie, she is an interstitialitis dietitian because What's that first word in interstitial what is that like it is inside I, your body it is i'm pretty sure it's inflammation of your bladder and your pelvic oh okay oh yeah. it's like fancy science word fancy science words got it but her story relates to her having this illness and because she has this illness then with that specifically, then she went out to find solutions because she didn't have those solutions. You're going to encounter a lot of people in B2C like that, and they're going to want to tell that story. When they tell that story, what's going to happen, though, that's not going to happen with B2B is that they're going to talk about, okay, well, I'm really passionate about X, but here's where I'm struggling. Or I didn't realize I had to learn X, Y, and Z. And that's where you just go into permission mode. Because that's the other side of it is like where people want this natural sift, they want it to be this casual handoff. And a lot of times that handoff is like, okay, I saw you do this. They're going to tell you a little bit more about that. Then you say, hey, we can help you with X, Y, and Z. We have a program. You don't just say, I, this happened in my DMs the other day. I have a program for people scaling to six figures. I'm already at six figures. I don't fucking care. You say, we have a program that helps with X or we help other people like us with this do you mind if I ask you some questions to save you time and see if it's the best fit? And then that's where I go into it. Because then that mindset allows you to say, okay, like at some point, rapport either turns into, hi, I'm in the friend zone and I don't know how to get out of it. Or it turns into, okay, they're already working with someone and they are not a viable lead anymore. And if they're no longer a viable lead, I'm not going to spend time with them if I'm on the sales team. It's not my job to spend time with them if I'm on the sales team, because being on the sales team means that your job is there to make money. And if it's not like that's the other side of sales, like if you don't enjoy that part, this isn't the place for you anymore. Mm -hmm. Like there has to be a certain amount of chase because our clients are relying on that. And it's it's not a time period. That's the other thing is that like you have to understand is people come in in different phases of buying and people are in different roads of buying. So Some people come in fully problem aware, solution aware, and they're ready to buy. They're just waiting for someone to help them to say, this is a good fit for you to give them permission. Some people are super fast at buying. That's going to be typically your extroverted people. If they're introverted, they're going to have to think it over a little bit more. But what you don't do is say, okay, hey, let me know. You give them a deadline. You say Parkinson's law states, if we give something a deadline, it's going to expand to that deadline. When we don't give it a deadline, it's going to continue to expand. It's like spray foam. You don't spray foam everywhere because it continues to expand. 
So that's the other piece, like for my mindset. And then the other side is just like, if they say yes, cool. If they say no, move on. Like if they're saying no, it, it may not be like no forever. It's a no right now. But in that situation, you don't need to dive deeper unless they're handing you an objection. But people don't go to objection school. They don't know how to throw the right objections if they don't know how to sell. And so that's the other side of it. The thing, though, with objections that a lot of people don't realize is that you can let people ruminate on that objection on that problem. You can say, okay, it sounds like Mm -hmm. like, this is where you're at right now. That's completely okay. When you're ready, when you decide you want to come back, let me know. I'll also check in periodically. Because that's the thing about our brains, though, is like our brains have to open and close loops. And when you don't give them a solution, when you don't give them free advice, that loop stays open and the brain's going to ruminate over and over and over. It's like I got crowns in the back and I spent the first three Mm -hmm. months like, ooh, what is this back here with my tongue? Same process. Yeah. So I think you spoke to a good point about not coaching in the DMs and offering free help. No. I think it would be, could you dive into that a little bit more and actually what that loop is that you're leaving open-ended so that they come back to close when you do check in periodically? So our brains work in lots of gain. And loss aversion is a higher driver when you are creating sustainable change where gain is where you continue to see it. When you coach in the DMs, when you spend time in the DMs, like solving that problem for them, that loss aversion doesn't happen because they don't feel like they're missing out. Because loss aversion is basically our brains going to overdrive when something is perceived to run out or we're not going to get it because that's an evolutionary response for survival for needs. And now it's shifted into this. And what a lot of people want to do is they want to model this relationship of, I'm going to coach you. I'm going to like talk to you about it, but that's what marketing's for. That's what the free resources are for. So if there is an opportunity to give a free resource, go ahead and do so. But what that also creates inside of the relationship and why I stopped doing this, I'll tell people, can I challenge you? But I don't tell people, Mm -hmm. can I coach you? Because what that creates is like, why would they invest in that program? Why would they spend that money if they can get the information for free over here? There's no Mm. loss of version happening of like, I'm going to miss out on this. Something else is happening over here. What happens though, when people make investments and our investments have to be, so we have to have a perceived amount of value and we have to have a perceived amount of work and they have to be congruent to each other. So like if they're, you know, let's use scale to 5k as an example, if they're making their first 5k, it has to be congruent to that specifically. That's why I don't charge $20,000 to learn how to make your first 5k. When it is incongruent, what our brains like to do is say, we just got lucky. Because there wasn't enough work put in. Because what happens too when we put in work and when we take that time and when they do this, and I explain this to people, is that it's called the progress effect. The progress effect or perceived progress effect means that when you're closer to that goal and you put that work in, you're more likely to finish it. You're more likely to finish a book if you're 90% in than 25%. And so when we're coaching them in the DMs and we're coddling them and we're really building this relationship, what you're saying is one, I don't value what this person has to offer you. The second thing is, is that you don't think that they can get the work done and that's why you're giving it for free. And like most people, they don't need more information. 
Most people say like, oh, I need more information. I need to look at the sales page. I need to like ruminate on it. What people need to see, because the other thing is, is our brain solves solutions very specifically. We have a problem. We have a perceived route where we've tried to fix the problem before. And that's laid either in advice or our own experience. And when we do that enough times, our brain says, okay, there needs to be another solution because this is taking energy and our goal is to conserve energy. So the other part of that is if you give them a solution, you're also going to give them false confidence that, oh, it's this simple. I can just go on my stories and talk about it, but there's no feedback loop to concrete that skill, which then closes Mm. the problem, gives them a new route. Pause on that. I want everybody to sit and think on that literally what you just said the solution is giving them a false confidence Mm -hmm. and then you know as sales reps now we're actually hurting people because we're it's like oh you can go into a burning building and save somebody like here's all the equipment figured out and they're like okay i could do it but then they go in and they die because they don't know how to put it on. And it's, I would, I don't know how everybody feels about, there's a show called Westworld. I know it, but I don't watch it. Westworld is a, it's a complete, it got me started thinking outside of just like the normal patterns in sales and things because it's all based off of a narrative. And then you get to the end of fourth season. The narrative's a lie. You realize that it, it just blew my mind. Like I didn't watch TV for like a week after this. Like that's how it's pretty much an amusement park and they go in and every story has its complete narrative and they're all like robots but then they start thinking for themselves. So one change will happen. So one change will happen. And then you get to the end and you realize this whole thing has just been constantly happening. And what you thought was fake is actually the reality. They're all keep living it and they're in the loop. Yeah. And when you can understand that, like you're in that loop, especially with what you're saying, and especially being in the DMs where it's like, it's really easy to say exactly what you want because people can read it. That's the best way the information comes across. I think the other thing too is like time is money. I don't, there's a Money loves speed. It does. Like, and people want, like, people don't get in the DMs just to like shoot the shit anymore. I think a lot of people forget that, that like where we live on Instagram, like the, so sophistication is levels of awareness it's not the same like it was four years ago where you're explaining what mm-hmm. is that ideal client? What are these things? And I think the other thing that like you want to remember is that when somebody presses follow, when they take the time to look at that profile, whether they come in through content or it's in their discover page or it's tagged on somebody else's page, when they press follow, they're saying, I find value in this because I have this problem. Mm. Boom. Boom. And then you hand them the solution. But what people forget is that like the other side of it where most of y'all are getting stuck is that fear of rejection is an evolutionary response. If we hear no, we think we're going to get ostracized. If you're ostracized, you're singled out. That means that you have less of a chance of survival. It's not like that, though. 
And that's the other side of it where it's like, okay, if I'm really getting hit with no over and over and over, and like I'm starting to get beat down, you just take a moment, walk away, come back. But it's, we're constantly, it's called anchoring and adjusting is what the decision-making process is. We anchor in the first piece of information until we can prove it wrong. And then we adjust based on either the expectation of this person, like expertise is built through trust, but expertise can be modeled through our content. It can be modeled through follower accounts. It can be modeled through like social proof. It's like, okay, this expert has the solution. So then they anchor in that person and they adjust to be more warm to it. But if we're constantly Mm -hmm. coaching in those types of things, then you're not actually moving. And anchoring is that piece of information that we use as a reference point. We come back to it. We check to that thing. And that's the other side of it is that if you can change that reference point for them, then they are able to say, okay, yes, those types of things. Mm, I love that. I love, tell me more about the, like somebody coming to follow, like they're engaging with it because at that point they're, they, like, for example, me, I saw your pay. I was like, oh, I love everything you're talking about. Boom. I'm interested. It comes up. Like, I just love it. These people are, you know, it gets back to Glenn Gary. I I hate that I do that because I used to run some like very like vicious (laughs) sales teams, but Masculine sales isn't wrong. That's the thing that (laughs) someone's face hasn't learned. Like I like Jeff Blau, I would literally, I have like five of his books. I have four stacked (laughs) up right here. Masculine sales is not wrong. It's the lack of emotional intelligence that then has to be brought into the sales process. Mm -hmm. But Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, RIP, father of sales. Zig Ziglar had a really good approach, but you have to remember too, the level of information around psychology, decision-making, economics, behavior, they didn't have access to that. This was the 50s. So they mm. knew what they could do, and that was influenced through larger forces. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think, you know, the biggest thing is, I want you to talk more about this, is like making money. Like once you make the first commission, then the second's easier, then the third's easier. Then before you know it, like you're just hanging out and people are like, oh, send me the link. I'm ready to sign up. And then it's easy. Then it's fun. Then you could be literally anywhere at dinner. Like I would be walking down the street, picking up my phone and like somebody call and I just talk to them walking my dog. It's, um, it's our limbic system. So our limbic system, (laughs) so how your brain works and its capacity, how it's structured is in the back. That's why they tell you not to hit the back of your head. That's why you wear a helmet when you go snowboarding. You have your stem, which has your amygdala. Your amygdala ties into your limbic system, which is actually kind of like right here in your brain. It may be a little bit buried, which then signals to your prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for all decision-making. However, our limbic system does not have capacity for language, and it's actually triggered by our subconscious. So our subconscious is always listening. It's always scanning. And what our subconscious is looking for is that go ahead from the limbic system. The limbic system is primarily off of emotions and feelings. So where that like easier part to close is, is that you get more confident and you're secure. And the other person's limbic system picks up on that confidence. It picks up on that secure. It's like that safety when you enter like a safe relationship after not being in a safe relationship. 
That's why it becomes easier because that person to you is probably going to come in a semi-dysregulated state if they're looking for a solution, if they're an entrepreneur, because they're looking for an answer. They don't know what the answer is. They're getting an exponential amount of input from their mom and their brother and this guy who sold insurance one time. And when you come in and you say, I'm super confident in what we have to offer and how we do it, and I'm sure their brain shuts off and says, okay, this is the way to go. Because the other part of our brains, you always have to remember its job is to conserve energy and keep you safe. So if you can create safety in that, which it's harder because like in-person sales, the easiest way to create safety is to stand on the same side as them. Oh yeah, super easy in person. Yeah, but the DMs, we can't, I can't like go to Nick's house and stand next to him. So that's the other part of it is if you can have that confidence and have that safety, that's why things close faster because that person kind of tracking back to your thought, that person who follows, they have found value in it. Nick, I found you when you went to Encinitas and did the sales training through Rachel. Oh gosh. Oh, that's right. You said that. You have been on my radar for a while. That's so wild. I had no idea. But the part was, is until you found value in my page and what I was doing, you didn't follow. That's the, I didn't even know you followed me. That's the crazy thing. Mm-hmm. That's the other side of it. That, yeah. If we can catch attention, if we can interrupt them and interrupt with confidence that we know how to help them, that's when you can pull it back. But yeah, I was thinking about that. And then I saw, I saw Rachel in Boulder and I was like, I know when I followed Nick, it's when you took everybody out and you did a sales training because I was slowly trying to pick apart what OCA was yeah. because I was trying to build my own coaching program, not realizing that's what I wasn't passionate about. That's so wild how that stuff happens. And, but that's how the online space is. And yeah. we're constantly, that yeah. ideal client can be like coming in through somebody else's page, finds value, has that problem. So when people come in, we want to assume that they have a problem and they want a solution. Mm-hmm. We don't want to assume that they're just here to shoot the shit. Nobody's here to shoot the shit. Like for the record, like it, I DM a lot of people like, I think in May, June, like I was going like almost a thousand messages a month, like just myself. And I'm just like, boom, straight to the point. Like, Hey, saw this, you in or you out? Nope. Already got this figured out. Cool. We'll stay in touch. Actually. No, not interested. Or yeah. What do you got to say? Like people appreciate the directness. Like I know me, if people just Shoot, if somebody's trying to like, hey, what's up? Delete. Delete. Like, hey, did you see this message? Hey, here's the one question everybody needs to stop asking. Why did you follow me? Nobody cares about no. you. They care about themselves. Why they yeah. followed you is because they saw value in what you have. Or the other side of this in the online space, which you can call out this behavior. I follow people all the time to figure out what they're doing to see what they're doing. See Absolutely. Like that's just I get on sales calls. All people are like, hey, I got this thing. Can you want to hop on a call? Sure. Let's see it. Because then I want to see if I really am I I want to make sure my skills are up to par. Am I doing good? Am I doing bad? Are there people out there just throwing shit at a wall and seeing what happens? Which most of the time, that's what it is. The closey, sleazy objections. Like, oh, I was like, I need to talk to my wife about it. I was going to actually do the program. He's like, oh, is she here right now? Like, yeah. He's like, 
can you get her? No. No. So you want me to have a private conversation in front of you? And I told him, I was like, dude, you lost me right there. Like, I already told you. Every time. I was like, I'm in. I need to talk with her about it. Make sure. Oh, I have to. Dude, no, you don't. If you've never, if you've ever had to talk with a significant other about it, you'll know. Okay, cool. Go talk to it. Let's set a time to talk at this day at this time. That way you guys can have time and then we can all three get on if you want or just us or whatever. It's important to know too, like we're not there to be their friend. Like we're not, they have friends now. All the friends and family of the people you're talking to don't believe in them. They're the ones like, oh, I can make a million dollars this year. They're like, why don't you go get a job? They don't. They don't believe in them. All my friends, this is all I've ever done. They still don't believe it. People are like, what do you do for work? I'm like, don't worry about it. It took my dad four years to get on board. And I have, I live with my dad. I have my own fucking office in my dad's house. And he still wasn't on board with it. I kept my office when I went to corporate until it was one conversation. One day in passing, my dad said, I will like remember this for the rest of my life. He was like, I can see you now. Megan Lamley Consulting, $250,000 to get in the door. That was four years. We have done over $200,000. No, we were at $300,000 at that point. Like they don't believe in it. They don't believe in it. And they don't, they're going to get so much advice. They're going to panel their advice of like, what do you think I should do? Who do you think? Like, and the other thing is, is the other side of it is that they have so much noise in their ear in the online space. They're taking every free course, every free opportunity, oh. trying to like collect it. And if you can say like, hey, I can give you peace of mind and I can shortcut this and you can, you know, make money, even though some of our clients aren't that, but like, I can shortcut your process. I can give you peace of mind. I can give you the solution that you need. So for some of our clients who are B2C, um, I think we only have one right now, but if you can say that, they're going to tune in because they've also sat on every free masterclass to hear, Hey, join this program, do this thing. You know, I'm going to give you the secret to seven figures. I'm going to get you the six steps, hundred K. And then what's at the end of it. I'm going to pitch you. Yeah. I'm going to give you just enough so that you think you need it. I'm going to give you enough to make you curious so that you obsess to close that loop. Mm Mm-hmm. The best pitch I ever saw, I was sitting in a room. I never went to any in-person events. It was Recession Proof by Marcus Barney, which he went all in. Like, he bought out every single billboard at the MGM Grand. When you landed in the Vegas airport, his billboard was everywhere. Literally. Him 500 is his thing. Look him up. Him 500. And there was a guy there named Myron Golden. And he sat there. He was like, look, I'm going to give you guys an experiment. And at the end of this experiment, most of you are going to get up and you're going to want to buy this course. You know, it's good if you type in him 500 or you type in something and it says, is it a scam? Scam. Yeah. Right. Right. And so Myron Golden went through, but by the way, I, I almost got up. Like I was just watching. I was like, do I need this? What he's selling? He goes through, does this experiment. He's like, there's five people standing up on stage. He has a hundred dollar bill. He's like, who here thinks 
they're worth a hundred dollars. And everybody raises their hand. He's like, you know, but nobody's really saying it. He just keeps hammering on that. And finally, somebody walks up and takes the hundred dollars from his hand. He's like, great. You just made a hundred bucks. Yeah. And then the next person was 50 and the last person didn't get anything. He was like, see, everybody here says you're worth a hundred dollars, but nobody stood up to come take it from me. Goes through the pitch. He's like, look, I already told you guys, you're going to want something I have. It's $20,000. You pay it now. It's 15. You're going to need to write down your credit card number on here. It's $2,000 down now. We got like 1,500 or so applications. Who wants one? When I say people got up and sprinted to that stage, I was like, this guy. It's lost aversion. And then he goes, look, if you don't have $2,000, please do not put this down. Like my papers, if you you know you don't have $2,000, just sit down. These people ran up. He closed just there. It was like a few million dollars as we're sitting there. His site actually broke. They literally started a new account or no. One of his friends that was there was like, here, just use my account. Yeah. And it was the worth. And he was also being direct. He literally came on stage. It's like, I'm going to say something at the end. So here is want to be sold. Here's the breakdown of that. Here is the entire science behind it. He set the expectation that you want to pay attention to until the end. And that if you're already here, here's the end result for you. Second, the hundred dollar bill. Everybody's thinking, okay, what's the catch? The person who walked up and took it said, I'm not going to miss out on a hundred bucks. I wouldn't miss out on a hundred bucks. I'd go and put no, that either. <laughs> Take it to 200. Like I'm lucky on spots in Vegas. What people learned though, is that it kept going down and by waiting loss aversion, they missed out. So when he presented another opportunity to them, what did they learn? I'm not going to miss out because I missed out on that hundred dollars. And their brain went into overdrive because that perceived scarcity was like, let's go. Mm-hmm. People want to be sold. People want to have solutions. People want to have answers. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way. That's like, that's how like I closed like 90% of that 166,000 we did because I just came in and said, Hey, do you want this or not? And then it was, that was the answer. They came in, they had a question. That's the other thing. People will come in. A buying signal is a question. Does this work for me? How much is this? What's included? When are you going to launch this again? That's a buying signal. Oh, I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to wait. No, we're not going to wait. We're going to take action now. That's the other side of it is like, look for the buying signals because they're not going to be like waving and saying like, Hey, I want X, Y, and Z, but they're going to ask a question. You don't ask a question. Well. If you're in sales, you ask questions to find the answer. (laughs) You can get buying signals when you're in sales. But again, 90% of the people we talk to don't understand sales the way we do. Most people, 100% of the population, myself included, will avoid sales until it comes down to the only answer that you have. I got into sales at Massage Envy because that was how I could make more money. It was the same Mm -hmm. way I worked at Crazy Shirts. I made, if we made our sales goal... I made a dollar for every hour I worked in that month and I was working 50 hour weeks. So I was making an extra $200. Oh my gosh. Like that's ridiculous. 
that was how it goes. But at that time though, an extra $200 was like a lot for me when I was doing, you know, when I was at Massage Envy and I was selling more than anybody because our, our location didn't want to sell. It was the same thing. It was only $27 per membership that I got, but you get 10 memberships in a month. That's $270. Yeah. That's like almost my car. That's a lot of money. Y'all make way more commission than I ever did. This is, yeah, without having to do much work. That, that's the other thing I hope you all realize is that, like, you have it really good. You have it easy. Like, you don't have to source the leads. You don't even have to get on sales. Granted, I love doing sales calls. Also, I hate doing sales calls. I it's a lot. They take a lot of time. You have to be locked down and you're managing people's energy. Like, like I'm doing six to eight calls a day. I'm wiped at the end because somebody might get on their dad just died or somebody might get on and they just found out like crazy stuff or they're going through a revolution in their country. And they like, it's just so much stuff where this is so much easier where it's like, they're just, there and they know because people still get on sales calls that don't realize it's a sales call. Like at least in the DMs, people understand. Like I've I've gotten on calls and people are like, hey, so what are we doing? Like, this is a sales call. I sent you the email outlining what we're going to talk about, all the information. Oh, well, I wasn't ready for a program. Really? That's why we ask for permission every time because then they also The thing that people really want to lean into and remember is that our goal at all times is to be autonomous, is to have a say in everything that we do. And when we operate the way that we do, the way that we know sales, we put the ball in their court to make the decision for themselves. And when we ask Mm -hmm. for permission, we say, are you available for this solution in different words? Because if we said that, people are going to be like, why now? Yeah. But the other side is, is that it still puts them in a place and yes, they can ghost. So we do need to like messages. We do need to follow up. Most sales are closed on the fifth and 12th contact point, the fifth and 12th. But the other side is, is that there is a lot of opportunity that you can come in, you can pitch, you can follow up, you can feed them different pieces of content. That's the other thing. Like there are podcasts, there are posts, there are client results. You could take the initiative to do a portal tour of one of the programs, you could, you know, take the time and dig through their archive and find a mini training and send them that mini training. Like there's a lot of opportunity to give them more information as well. And that's where most sales programs and commission-based things aren't going to give you as much opportunity to do so. There is the opportunity too to post, you know, post polls, use their branding. If you don't have their branding, ask for their branding, post a poll, be like, if there was a way that you could do X and Y and Z, would you want more information? Yes or no? What's holding you back? Time, money, not sure if it's for me, want a later start date. Like there's a lot of other opportunity too to collect information. It's just getting out of this like to engage, to engage mentality. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why we're engaging with people. It's to, it's to help money. them and make money. To make money, to make money and help them. Yes, I love that. And I love, I'd love for you to speak on like being resourceful. I have a saying, I say I'm like, find a reason why you can instead of a reason why you can't. 
So because a lot of the things you're saying, like your podcast, the portal tour, many trainings, um, what I heard there is follow up with value. Those polls get their branding. Like dive into that for me, please. That's just like, that's like my mentality. So I went to college online and we didn't even have, this is how new the school was. We didn't even have like video lectures. They had like, you would click through something, you would get sent a textbook, you would have to write a paper every week. And then they were also eight week semesters. So at week four and week eight, you would at week four, you would write a five to seven page paper. And then at week eight, you would write an eight to 10 research paper. And you had two to four classes. And I was on the competitive track. So I had four classes that I was writing. Like you were writing a three to five page paper every week. So I was writing in between 12 and 20 pages a week. At that point, you have to compile the information. Yeah. And I did it online. I worked through college the entire time. And then I got into business and had like fucking $200 and was like, I don't know how to make this work, but I'm going to make this work. With resourcing and doing that, like what you're actually doing is building self-confidence in yourself, even though this is a sales process and you're selling for someone else. Because then you know, like one, you know, if you encounter the same objection again, that you can then take this objection and you know that you can like, you know, injection we encounter a lot with consistent sales system is, mm. okay, that's cool. It worked for you. It's worked for these people, but I've never talked to somebody inside of the program. So what did we do? We went and found four people who are affiliates for the program, who every time someone says they want to talk to someone, we send them that way. Mm-hmm. And they know what to say. So it's again, using that resource. But the other side of it is that Your brain is going to think of a problem and run the same solution, even if it doesn't get results. And what you can do is program yourself to know what the solution is and get the results. And so the other part of it is also like, I like money. There's nothing wrong with that. I like money. I like making money. I like what money does for my life. And here's the thing. If I can get them a solution and I can make some money, I'm not going to go to the nth degree and like, give them all this free advice and do this, but I am going to come back with value because the other thing is, is that if they're in that process and they're thinking about the decision and then they get more value, they get to experience that person. The number one question I get from people is how do you do it? How did they do it? I want to know more. And so that's the other side of it too, is that you can also like be testing and using resources and pulling those resources and testing. Does this podcast get people to convert. Next time you get that objection, you're like, okay, cool. Go listen to this podcast. They come back, they sign. So I think that's the other side of it. And it's just like, I think people don't, when it comes to like, they don't know what they don't know. I think they don't know what's possible as well. And when you hand them more Mm -hmm. information, what you're doing to their brain. So like, let's think about like the subconscious that makes 90% of our decisions. Our subconscious is layered with beliefs and we continue to fact check against it. And we have, it's called a reticular activating system, our RAS, which is responsible for stimulus and change. And that works closely with your subconscious. When you can feed your RAS a piece of information that says what I believe at my core is actually wrong and what I want is closer than I think, that's when people kind of get in that place. And so that's the other part of like, you know, really thinking about, You are going to compete in the market with a lot of programs. You are going to have a lot of interesting things happening. But when you can show value and then close with that value, it makes sense at that point. It's like a, 
it's like a no-brainer without saying it's a no-brainer. Like I hate when people say it's a no-brainer because it's like, well, yeah. actually it is. Yeah. But when you present the value and relate it back to them and use that resource, it's almost like you're saying like, like you said, like, why not? Like, why not try this? Why not mm-hmm. see this experience? Why not get this solution? Because what I'm doing isn't working. Mm-hmm. Boom. That's a fucking kick-ass training. It's a good training. This is. How do you pinpoint a, like a hot lead to go after or an ICA or to make sure that, you know, you're reaching out to people. Like if you reach out to 10 people that these are 10 qualified people versus it being only one qualified person. I use a priority system with that. Um, So watch who's watching the stuff. Like take some, like take five minutes, go through your client's stories, who's watching their stories consistently, and then do a little bit deep, like deeper digging. So like if I went and pulled up my stories, let's pull up my stories. Mm-hmm. So we got 113 views because it's close to expiring out. The first three people, employee, employee, client. You go a little bit further, current client. If we continue to scroll down, that's when we start seeing who is a lead. So start looking at, okay, say, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to use Allie as an example. If I see Allie watch every single one of my stories and she's not currently a client and she's not a colleague and she's not trying to scope me because a lot of people don't know how much I'm making. So they try to pick me up as a client and I'm like, not a client for you. Then I would go to Allie's profile and I would say, okay, My ideal client has a shell of a demographic. So for me, if I'm selling a sales program, they're not consistently showing up on stories or they are, and they're not talking about their offer. So what is a sign of the content that they're producing or the things that they are doing that doesn't work? And what do people tell you? That's the other side of listening to these conversations and notating it. What do people say? I'm showing up and I'm not sending clients. Do they have a service? Are they a coach? How does that work? And then from there, that is viability for me. She has a problem. She is my ideal ideal lead. So I would look for people. I would go priority. I would go stories, consistent consumers. I would go secondary, inconsistent consumers. And then I would go to new leads or people who aren't consistently consuming me. If I am burning through all the people who are watching my stories, go to the email list. Who is opening every single one of my fucking emails? Who is that person? And then I go to them on Instagram. I don't go and pitch them. I say, hey, thanks. I really appreciate the fact that you open my emails. Just wanted to connect with you over here. Because what does that do? That turns on and pulls them in. So then they start watching the stuff on Instagram. If it's an inconsistent consumer and I can't get them fully in the DMs to qualify, can you give them a free resource to get them on the email list when they're nurtured through the email list that then you can take it back to Instagram? So that's just what I go through. Um, because the other thing is, is like stories will change. People who watch her stories, they'll watch it until they decide it's not either A for them or B, they can't afford your program. So they'll wait till you're done launching or done promoting that thing. But like the people who are opening emails are always a hot lead because what is the most important currency in life? Your email. I don't give my email out to everybody and their mother. <laughs> if they're opening emails, that's a really good cue 
The other side of that too is like, who's voting in the polls? Who's liking my content? Who's commenting on the content? We don't control the marketing side of it, but that's another piece too that you can, like you can use in Flowchat, who is liking, who is mm-hmm. commenting, who are you messaging? Import all of that in there. Like exactly. just literally go to the stories and it's not going to overlap. So literally go to the stories if it's, all of us employees watching Megan's stories and like it goes in, it's not going to duplicate it. So it's only going to pull in those new people and then start from there. The other thing is though, is don't assume because they're not watching all your stuff that you don't have a problem to solve. Cause that's the Mm -hmm. other thing. Again, it comes back to you like following somebody is saying I have value and I have a problem and I want the solution. So that's the other piece. If you've ran through all their hot leads, if you've gone through all their inconsistent consumers, just start going through their followers. Mm-hmm. And like Import the whole follow list. I think the other thing too is like, for us, the biggest shift is going to be like, stop using the scripts. The scripts are really easy to copy and paste. But if you take five seconds and you watch somebody's story and you reply from their story, you're going to get a better engagement every single time than giving a script. You can shift it though. You can shift to ask like, Hey, are you starting or scaling? Hey, are you know thinking about some of our clients? Are you interested in building wealth? Are you legally protected? Do you struggle with this disease? Um, you know, are you craving more community? Would you like to justify and create a wealthy money mindset? I'm looking at them. Do you want to build a personal brand? Are you interested in expanding outside of your niche? Do you consider yourself multi-passionate? God, people love talking about how multi-passionate they are. Is your dream to speak on a stage? Are you an e-commerce brand struggling with social media and you want to be able to grow a strong social media presence so that you can sign more clients? Like that's the thing. And again, comes back to the directness because when you're direct to a lot of people are afraid of rejection, but when you're direct, it says, I value your time. And your time's mm. important to me, mm. and I don't want to beat around the bush. Directness equals value of time. I love Perfect. that. I That's love why that. I don't get on calls with people who don't know what they're doing. I'm like, I value my time, and like, you're not there to be their friend. And it sucks because a lot of people on the internet think just because you talk to them that now you're their friend. And like, it's hard because like, we do live in a lonely world. We are more connected and more disconnected than we've ever been. But this isn't the place to make friends. This isn't the place to like build connections. Really good positions to do that are community management. Community management pays you to be friends and support a community. Mm -hmm. Sales says, hey, I want to make money and I'm not shameful about it. And on the other side of that, you help people. Like that's the other thing I think too, when you start really selling is that you can look at the story views. You can look at the client rosters. You can look at every single person and be like, I know what I helped them with. I got them into that program so they could get that result. Mm-hmm. Ah, this is so good. Question for you. Do you, is there an average amount of messages that you know to like after 20 messages, this conversation's dead? Or after 30, it's dead. Or like, is that a thing that you found? I don't think it's like a certain metric point, but if it's like, let me look, let me use examples. The thing about sales that like I have gotten really good at is that like, I just go into autopilot. I'm just like, okay, who is this? How can I build rapport, pivot? And then like, if it's not pivoting, 
but let me look. Mm, that's good. So your mindset behind it is, that's like the reason why you're asking questions. Like there has to be a reason why you're in the DM is just rapport, pivot, pitch. Yeah. Rapport, pivot, pitch. Okay. Yeah. So there's not a specific number. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have done more than three asks with them. So I have dropped, I qualified her. She's qualified. Um, here's another thing you can do in qualification to help validate is what I said is I said, okay, what I'm hearing, this is the specific conversation. One, get systems tightened up AF with the right tools and processes. So repeat what they're saying. Two, expand for coaching and group. We love a multi-passionate queen. She said she's multi-passionate. And then I said three, clarity on what you do and what lights you up. Needing more support and accountability. Not looking for hands off because it sounds like you have a ton of ideas and are just stuck in your unique path. She said, yep. And I said, okay. Um, Curious if you have a monthly budget or figure you want to stay under. Nothing comes back a week later says okay i'm gonna wait until i'm done with my day job i'm like okay cool day job ended today i sent i followed up i liked it i said okay i'm gonna drop you a link go ahead book a sales call it's very rare for me to do it so go ahead and book it nothing followed up again said hey happy last full week at your job let's go ahead and get something on the schedule next week so that we can get you started in november nothing dropped it a last time. So after that third time I dropped that link, let it go. If you are having a conversation, there's another one I'm thinking of. Um, so I asked, how's the mastermind launch? They talk about how they're not showing up and they're not making money. And I was like, okay, like this is a pain point. If you say you're not showing up and you need to make more money, that is like a, that is like a green flag. Like let's pitch. Yeah because I don't believe you have to show up more to make money. So I said, what if the solution isn't showing up more? She said, yeah, opening up those conversations too with leads in my community, but I actually enjoy showing up. And I said, like, you're struggling with that or that's what you're doing. And then I beat to the point. Honestly, we played this verbal back and forth about getting sales help. I'd like to diagnose and help you in an actual coaching container. If not, it's okay. Oh, I love that. Just boom. She says, no, I don't struggle with that. I have no problem opening up conversations and pitching. If I ever want to invest with you, here is where you know that it is no longer a viable lead. If I ever want to invest with you or sales help, I will definitely reach out and ask. It is not an identical problem if they say, if I ever want to. Mm, I like that. Then I say, sound good. See you around. If I ever want to. If I ever want to, when I have the money, I know now is not the right time. Out. Thank them for their time. I don't think never split the difference is the best sales book, but okay. No, I mean. Best book I've ever read about sales. Here's my lineup. I will give you guys my lineup. Oh, yeah. It's trash. Don't read it. It's perfect. (laughs) Sales EQ by Jeb Blau. I don't put tabbies in my books. If it has a tabby, that means I love it. This is our Lord and Savior of sales. He knows his Mm. shit. What's next? Is that sell by Paul Cherry? 
He teaches you question frameworks, actual question frameworks, not what we teach in the online space. I use his questions. The last one is Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Lab. That's the lineup. Those are the books you read. Never Split the Difference is about negotiation. It is not about sales. Chris Voss is a negotiator. He is not a salesperson. Yeah, that's 100% true. Yeah, he... If you want sales psychology, there's none on the market. That will be my first book is actual sales psych because there's not an existing one on the market that focuses specifically on sales. But yeah, yes. those are the books. Questions that sell, sales EQ, fanatical prospecting. Fanatical prospecting, like they have a, an off version of it that's from military recruitment. Like... You think you can like, you think you can sell until you're asking people to get four years of their life or 10 years. If you commission a pilot at an Air Force, that's 10 years. So what would you say if they were to start, if they were to pick one book to read first, that's going to help them make more money quicker, which one would it be? Fanatical prospecting. There, he has a quote in it. Hold on. The brutal fact is the number one reason for failure in sales is an empty pipe. And the root cause of an empty pipeline is the failure to prospect. Mm. And it gets better. Stop wishing things were easier and start working to become better. Jim Rohn once said that you shouldn't wish that things were easier. You should wish to be better. You'll get better results, open doors. You thought you always would be close to you and ultimately close more sales when you focus on prospecting. Mm. Play the numbers game. It's very profitable. That's the other mindset too, is like, it is a numbers game. You have a higher probability. The more conversations you have, the more people that you talk to, the better that you can qualify. Higher probability means more money. Mm -hmm. Prospecting. Prospecting. I just think about like, we get so lucky we don't have to do door-to-door sales. That's what some people used to have to do is go door to door to door. I went, I started off door-to-door sales selling. Please say Cutco. I sold Cutco first. I sold Cutco first. Then I started selling lotion, Avon. I don't know Mm -hmm. if they had Avon out here, like skincare products. So I started selling Avon and then I would sell oregano to people and tell them it was weed. So I'd go to the store, me and all my friends, we'd just buy up all the oregano, bag it up. Made a lot of money. Yeah, we would do we that. We made a lot of money doing that. We made a lot of I mean, I was, God. That was like when I was 14. Actually, no, that was probably the first thing I started doing was 14. Back then, it was, I remember getting a cell phone, like, I'm never going to use this. I'm never going to use this. And I would just leave it at home. And then I started selling cheese. So when I went to college... I was playing football, going to class. I cleaned the locker rooms because they gave me work still. So we make it like four bucks an hour cleaning the locker rooms. Then I worked at McDonald's. I wish I would have had the Uber Eats bugging me because my friends would call me and I would charge them double what it was. And I'd make it and I'd deliver sandwiches every night. There you go. Cheeseburgers, selling everything. Yeah. And it's for the money. Like these people, these people are in the DMs. If somebody replies back, they're, they're interested unless they say no. 
Yeah. Everybody wants to know either A, they want to know how you do it, or B, they want to know how you do it. Yeah. Like, that's just how it is. And the thing is, is most people are looking for solutions and it's just for, like, it's the fear of, like, asking for it. That's where people yeah. get stuck is, like, asking for it. And it's like, okay, like, they're going to tell you no. Like, when I've had a really bad sales day, I'll, like, go to my dad or I'll go to Ryan and I'll be like, just tell me yes. Just, like, tell me yes once. <laughs> like, let me just hear yes. But the thing is, is that like, that is not a reflection of my skills. It's just a reflection of a situation. That's the other thing too, is like, you have to remember that like, because these people aren't your friends, they're not rejecting you. They're just saying no to the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, cool. And then, you know, sometimes people will tell you no, they'll tell you flat out no. And then they'll circle back and be like, Hey, I saw you started to sign clients. Hey, I saw you started to fill your program. Hey, what's going on? And they get that curiosity. It's the lanes. It's like, you have urgent and ready, which is like, I have to do this. I need to do this. You have like, okay, like they're kind of ready. It would be nice. And then you have like, if you have the money, I'll do it. The people who say, if I have the money, like if you really want something, you'll find the money. I remember when I was, I was a senior in high school. I wanted black knee high riding boots from American Eagle. My mom told me, no, they went on sale for one weekend. And I was like, this is like where my sales career probably started. I was like, okay, mom, if I clean the entire house, will you buy those boots for me? And what I cleaned the entire house. I had those <laughs> boots up until two years ago and they died. Oh my gosh. Had them for nine years. Like loved them. They were the MVPs. Yes. Oh my gosh. Another question for you. Is there a way? to tell if somebody's going to be an urgent right now, ready to invest prospect from their profile Mm. or how would you, what's the quickest way to find out who that person is? Hmm. I think yes and no. Knowing your ideal client and knowing like, like put your doctor coat on and like know the symptoms of the problem and how you can pinpoint the symptoms of that is really important because then you can tell where the urgency is. So you may not be able to right off the bat from the profile, be able to see it, but you can from the content. So like an example for us and people like, here's the thing is that like selling people how to make more money is the same level of urgency as the same things that everybody else offers. There's a certain level of desire that we have to trump. But for me, like what I notice of a level of urgency is they, they want to know what books to read. I don't technically recommend sales books for people like sales books are great. And then, you know what people do with it? They read it and they never fucking do anything with it. It sits Mm -hmm. on your shelf. So they're buying the sales books. You notice that they're doing a lot of free things. They're talking about wanting to show up more. That's how I can kind of tell if somebody's urgent. And the other side of that, it's not profile, but when I talk about, so everybody has a brand story that is rooted in their ideal client. And if you don't know your client's brand story, ask them that, ask us. Most of us, I know these people personally, most of our clients I know really well. And what people are going to say, it's not going to be from the profile, but what people are going to say, so I have the 200 to 200 K story. When someone comes in and talks about my last $200, I'm like, I know where you're sitting. You're looking at your bank account. You're wondering if this is cut out for you. You're looking for an option. So that's the other thing 
your more urgent people are going to be kind of at the end of their rope. So they can be a little bit cagey, but from a profile specifically, you just have to look for the symptoms of it. Unless you're in B2C, which is a little bit harder because like people aren't going to get on and talk about health problems. How the conversation is though, is that your urgent buyers are going to be your driver buyers. They're going to be short. They're going to be sweet. They're going to be to the point. That's why I have to remember to like put smiley faces in at Slack. So you guys don't feel like I'm yelling at you all the time. That's just how I am. Like that's, that's how why I, I do everything. And I put exclamation points and smiley faces, everything. That's how I text though. That's what people don't realize is like, they're like, oh, you're like this. And I'm like, no, I text like my boyfriend like that. Like that's yeah. just how I am as a person. So that's the other thing. You can like map the symptoms. It's a, if it's B2B, you can map the symptoms and see it. I think the other side of it though, is also understanding like the language of urgency and internal urgency with that specifically. So like somebody who wants to solve a solution, they're going to be like, when you ask them, like, can I ask you questions to see if this is a good fit? It's not going to be like, sure, or yeah, or okay. It's going to be like, yeah, like I'm ready. I'm excited. Go right ahead. Like their language is going to be like the word sure in itself is like uncertainty. You don't like when somebody's like, you know, when you're like, sure, sure. Like that's mm-hmm. just how I feel about that word. And when people say that, they're not like, yeah, okay. Like I'm excited. Um, the other thing I've noticed with urgency too, is that they tend to voice memo more. Because they have so many thoughts that are spilling over. And if it's a priority to them, because that's the other sign of it. If it's a priority to them, they're going to voice memo. That's why the clients do so well in consistent sales system. It's just because like a lot of it is just like certainty. Know your shit. And if you don't know your shit, pretend like you know your shit. Yeah. Your certainty always overcomes their doubt. Yeah. I've closed more sales. And somebody's like, do you think this will work for me? I'll be like, this will absolutely work for you if you say yes. And they're like, like, all right. Honestly, yeah. When it doesn't work, though, that's the other piece of it, too, is like they can always take ownership to it. Because when you have certainty and when you have ownership, what you mirror is ownership for somebody else. Like mm-hmm. if I say like, yeah, this can work for you. If you work it, if you show up and do the work, if like you, you know, really lean in when you're uncomfortable and if it doesn't work out, like you can also take ownership. Maybe they didn't show up enough. Maybe they didn't do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. It's that fear of like, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to let someone else down. And it's like, this, this is the other piece. This is what like keeps me up at night. If you want to know what keeps me up at night, yes. I think about is that when we don't give solutions, we fail people. And 50% of business owners will close in their first year and then they will continue to drop off into their fifth year. Most businesses don't make it past their fifth year. It is the easiest to start a business in the online space. You can literally go to LegalZoom, put it on a payment plan, you are fully legally set up. You can find clients. But where people miss out and where people fail, like where the like breakdown of the system is, is the lack of certainty and offering the solutions to people because they're afraid of rejection. And the other side of it is getting those solutions to those people. Because when we sit in fear of rejection, what we're basically saying is that we don't believe in our solutions and that I would rather see you fail than actually put myself on the line. And that's why I like sell the way that I do, because I don't want to see people fail. I don't want to like 
like that feeling of like closing my business and going back to corporate for five months. I literally sat in this office and cried multiple times a week because I fucking hated it. And like, I don't want anybody to feel that way. And it, it extends beyond, like, it's not just like people making money, like having health issues and knowing that there's no solution for them. My mom has an autoimmune disease. And when medical marijuana became a thing and my mom could actually start managing her pain, it was like night and day. It was so different knowing that like your money mindset could influence how your kids view money and how they view opportunities like leadership, you know, public speaking, or even just like an e-commerce brand that can allow someone to like have their own opportunities and those types of things. Because like on the other side of it too, is that like, if we're not actively selling, like, yeah, our clients will be okay, but that is like us taking away from our clients. And like that level of trust to say, like, I trust you and I want you to make money for me. And I trust you with my brand and what we're building. Like that's something you can't take lightly because like there are very few people who get in our doors and who work with us and like people behind the scenes, like everybody who's here has either been handpicked or like, it's been like universal alignment for me. Mm. Can you talk a little bit more about like a client comes, they hire you to pretty much be the heart of their business in the sales. They hire us to put food on the table. If you think about that, like this isn't like some cheap, like, Oh, it's casual. It's a couple hundred bucks. Like they hire us to put food on the table. Like when we don't take our job seriously, that is the difference between a fat Christmas and not in profitability Mm. and filling out a program and understanding, you know, the impact that they can extend because like being a CEO and doing sales is fucking exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I do it twice. I do it for coaching and I turn around and do it for salesy and it's really tiring. And what we're saying is, Hey, like, let's share this load for you because like the other side of it is like, Everybody who enters in salesy, like I believe in what they offer. I believe who they are as a person. I have personally vetted them. Like they don't just get to come in to come in. And so that the other pieces, like they're saying like, hey, let's share this burden. That can be a lot because money stress is money stress. But on that other side of it is that like, when we don't show up and fulfill on our promise, we're also saying like, we don't respect your time or your money. And like, that doesn't sit well with me because I do respect these people. Like almost every single one of our clients, there are two clients I will not name. There are two clients who I didn't have a prior relationship with before they joined Salesy. And they came before we had a website, before we had a brand, before all of the things. Mm. So that's the other side of it of like, Our job isn't to engage. It is to make money. It is to have sales. And it's okay if that's not for you. But like the other side of this is like, they are trusting us to create revenue inside of their business so that they can hire and they can grow. And, you know, maybe they want to retire their husband if they have a husband or they want to spend extra money on their kid at Christmas. It's not our job to do that. Our job is to make money. Boom. It's just like. Let's fucking go. I just don't struggle with that. Like I told, I told Tosh like yesterday morning, I was like $20,000 cash. Let's go. I don't worry about the how I go up, do my job. 
If you have loved today's podcast episode, go ahead and take a moment to rate and review on whatever you choose as your platform to listen. Rating and reviews help us not only be able to serve you deeper, but to bring more people in to learn more about sales. If you ever want to check out the behind the scenes, go down to the show notes. My Instagram is always linked and I will see you next Wednesday for another episode of Sales Eve.